Hello and welcome to another episode, back onto Engaging the Masses podcast series this time. And the series is a sequence of episodes where I'm looking across all the fields for different concepts and ideas to help people with the uh, with a passion for conservation, climate change, sustainability, to engage the masses with their work or their ideas. So I'm drawing on lots of other people's work, obviously, and uh, I'm throwing in my own opinions and thoughts in the mix as well. Um, but it's intended for anyone really who wants to engage people in sustainability topics, but especially for people who have particular work or ideas or projects, behaviors or research, or whatever that they'd like more people to engage with. So the idea is like a toolbox where the strategies I'm touching on are the tools to engage the masses and you can take any tool you need for a given job and use it to get your work done but not all the tools are going to be useful for every job and maybe some uh, tools just won't apply to you at all. So uh, take what you like and ditch the rest. And today's topic is sales. (laughs) Ugh, I hear the collective groan, you know, but... (laughs) But push on through, I want to talk about sales techniques that people have spent years and probably billions of dollars honing in the world of business and and apply it to the idea of engaging masses with sustainability. I think there's a lot of valuable lessons to learn. Before we get into the specifics, let me first lay a bit of um, background on my take on the topic of sales. And to me, sales is a foundation skill for any really successful career. And, And people dislike the idea of it because when they think of sales, they think of times sales is most in their face hard selling when it's unsolicited sort of not wanted and and the salesman with their own interest in mind trying to push something on to you that you know you've no real interest in and normally you know something you don't want and that's just bad sales you know selling something shitty you don't need for an inflated price is, is immoral and and not certainly not sustainable but that doesn't mean the skill of sales is inherently bad. You know, if someone writes an, an immoral book, we don't say the skill of writing is bad. <laughs> we say the book's bad or the author's got the wrong intentions, right? So sales can and should be used as a tool for good. And when you say the word sales, the immediate thing that jumps to mind is selling a product. But that stands as a barrier for people's interest in sales by pigeonholing it. Sales is in this context, is bringing to life an idea in people's minds in such a way that it fascinates and engages people and so much that they're inspired to act. It's not about selling products. It's about bringing ideas to life. In pretty much any field you can imagine, sales plays a critical role. Politics, science, fundraising, advocacy, management, leadership, marketing, I don't know, project management, negotiation, communication, all of them... You need the ability to engage people with your ideas, and that's the art of sales. It's an essential life skill for anyone, basically, wanting to make meaningful change or anyone hoping to have any sort of success in the world. So um, in my personal experience, during the course of founding and building companies, I came to appreciate just how critical and how overarching this concept and, and the skill of sales is. And later on, as my companies grew, I've trained my staff in sales and management team and I've been running workshops and training and programs and that helped distill my own take on this enormous and, and really critical field and so I'm going to draw on that experience for this podcast as well as all the reading I've done over the years and I have in front of me <laughs> written down list of topics under the umbrella of sales that I've jotted down that I feel like has some useful benefit for bringing sustainability work to life so for the rest of this episode I'll hit each topic title and I'll 
throw in some thoughts or ideas, maybe an example or two. There is a few topics that have some crossover with things I've discussed previously. So especially on those ones, I'll I'll keep it as brief as possible for those who've listened through the whole series. Um, I'll stay on point. Um, but I do think it's nice to kind of gather all of the sales things together in one episode to kind of bring that sort of aspect to life. So here we go. The scene is set. Let's dive into Engaging the Masses, part five, using sales for good. I'm going to start with empathy, even though I've already done a whole episode orientated around it. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing and it's tremendous transformational power. And every time I teach sales, I start with empathy. So this is going to be no different. So empathy, in short, is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And if you can get a feel for what really makes someone tick, it's a lot easier to work out how to tie that in with what it is you're trying to sell. So in the context of this series, it's about engaging people with your idea whatever that might be. And you need to do that in a way that considers their perspective and how it brings value to that person. So don't tell someone your sustainable idea. Tell them how your idea enriches their lives and tell them what problem you're solving for them and connect your idea to something that matters to them. So that's a brief summary of using empathy. I'm going to jump straight on because, like I said, I talked too much about it already, but it underpins so much of the rest of the episode if you can't get a feel for people that you're talking to, you're just stabbing in the dark at what might motivate them to engage. So don't forget empathy. The next thing I have jotted down is for the love of dot, 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 <laughs> insert the blank, <laughs> whatever you fancy putting in at the end of that sentence. And I love this phrase because it's a real positive framing. It's not a motivation out of guilt or shame or anything else, but for the love of things, you know, action motivated by love. And that's a powerful and wonderful thing. In a sales context, it's connecting your idea or your cause to something that people love. And a classic example, which you see often, is connecting a cause to your children or to your grandchildren or the motivation for people acting being connected with their children. Right. So the, uh, it's such a powerful connection, the one to your own child. Um, and even people who don't have a child can kind of relate to that. Although, you know, from my personal experience, I had I had really no idea how much it would rock my world until I had a kid, you know, but um, but still it's relatable even for those without children. So um, it wouldn't be too out there to see that most people care more about the welfare of their kids than they do themselves. And people's identity and their legacy also really tied to the next generation, which are powerful motivators, right? So um you think like what what does my children's future look like in a business as usual world you know it's a very real and powerful motivator for action on climate change for example so for you in personally now for years i was motivated for the love of the sport that i was involved with and competing in for the love of traveling and the outdoors which came with it so it was extreme sports background basically and it it was my primary motivating factor for my career um or the first phase of my career i'd say inspiring life-changing experiences for other people through the outdoors through teaching and coaching and um and travel and so it it drove the growth of my companies and was the energy behind all the social enterprises and the side projects that i set up and and ran community initiatives and all that sort of thing and it was all driven by something bigger than myself and, you know, for the love of, I guess, would be an appropriate phrase, although I wasn't saying that at the time, you know. So um, more recently, 
with a bit of deeper reflection and with greater clarity on the state of the world and what's going on and you know that mission and that drive has changed from uh, from this sort of sharing the love of the outdoors to um, action on climate change and conservation so for me I guess you know I'm just trying to make it personal to give an example you know for the love of the natural world I fight to protect it or for the love of my kid I take action now for his future and so for the love of the people and animals who who stand to suffer that that don't have the capacity or the power to fight for themselves. <laughs> so there's some examples, but can you, can you use this phrase to connect people to your idea or cause? For the love of, fill the blank. <laughs> fear of regret. It's another powerful motivator discussed in sales. The fear of regret to follow on. Um, you know, from that example I just gave with kids, future being a serious factor in parents or potential parents' lives. Imagine then when my child's an adult and the world's a very different place to what it is now with widespread suffering and disruption. And, you know, Kato asked me, who's my son, Kato asked me, why didn't you do more when there was still time? And what were you all thinking? And why did you carry on when you knew millions of people were going to die? <laughs> Those are the sort of questions that have real power. And projecting into the future, that puts a real fear of regret in me. And that's a very powerful motivator in other people too. So it can be used powerfully in sales. The fear of missing out, FOMO. <laughs> Closely linked to the fear of regret, it takes many forms and is often a form of social pressure. And it's pretty self-explanatory, so I won't dig into the details of fear of missing out. You know, it's pretty obvious. But a few examples maybe of how you can use it in a sales context. So let me think. Okay, so an example of how um, we use it in one of my businesses. So big groups of people, they're volunteering in the region that I live in Uganda. And we have a, um, a bit of time off and they have an opportunity to see a bit of the area and do some activities, which is what Kat Danal does. So an organizer of the group gets me to come and speak to them about the options for what they can do on this one day off that they have. And so one of the potential activities is tandem kayaking, which is <laughs> real brief background is it it's like an it's an epic whitewater experience where a professional kayaker takes you down some of the biggest volume commercially run rapids in the world and it's a wild ride and people love it but there's only a limited number of professional kayakers who can really bring this experience to life and and give you this um experience of whitewater kayaking like you would never believe and at the end of this spiel about tandem kayaks the i said something like this so this activity is a pretty wild ride and a unique way to experience the Nile River. People come from all over to scratch this off the bucket list and it's something you're going to remember for a long time. But there is an issue with this and that's worth mentioning, especially if you guys are just here for one day. We, are, we only have eight of these professional kayakers and they get booked up really quickly so that the only fair way to do it is first come, first serve. So if you are keen, let me know as soon as possible after I finish the talk um, because they're going to book up and you don't want to miss your chance. <laughs> all right I don't know if that was very articulate the way I explained it just off the top of my head but I had a after that talk the first time I did that we sold out straight away you know and and it was about framing it in such a mind that like a sense of urgency oh my god I've got to do this before um I can't just float through this and I might miss out and then there's obviously that fear of missing out and then you know f sort of weaved into that somewhere I think is some like regret you know, fear of regret as well. What if I, I'm only here once and this is my one opportunity to do this epic experience that I can't do elsewhere. And so 
woven into just a little bit of a tag on at the end of this activity talk, um, powerful dialogue that motivates people. And I know that's just not a sustainability example, but I'll just give you an example of how you can weave some of these into, into a spiel. I guess what I'm trying to show you with the example is that it's part of a dialogue and it can be subtly sort of weaved into the way you express yourself. And it's not necessarily only one thing. It's bringing together a number of these powerful motivators. Indirect and direct selling. So direct sell is what people think of as classic sales, straight to the point, direct. Tell me what is wonderful about the thing you're trying to sell me. Tell me how much better this thing's going to make me alive. Tell me the problem it's going to solve for me. That, that's all good. Um, and in the right circumstance, if people have asked you for it, tell them what you know and don't mince your words too much. But the, the more you put a classic salesman type tone, the more icky it kind of feels. So um, especially if you do that to someone unrequested. So you can also think of that like, especially with the icky salesman type tone is like hard sell kind of term, which people are very familiar with. And you, but you can really very quickly throw up massive barriers. You know, when someone's trying to get something from you, like you feel like they're trying to coerce you and persuade you to do something. It feels like, it can feel like they've only got their own interests at heart, you know, their own agenda and, and not yours. And, and that's sales aversion rearing its ugly head. And it's literally everywhere in the climate change and sustainability fields partly because a lot of people in the, the field isn't aren't skilled at using sales <laughs> you know or softer indirect sales but also largely because we need to engage the people that are not asking to engage you know we can't just sit back and say well okay you want to be climate active well let's just talk to you and leave the others be you know it's it's not all right just to sit back and lo- let only those people act we need the masses, right? So what then is the softer sales or indirect sales? And it's a, it's a million things. So how to distill it into just a few sentences? We'd probably do whole programs or sections on the sales training on this. But I suppose it's about having a sensitivity to the person you're talking to, reframing the way you're talking to be less direct, highlighting the things that will draw them to it, um, and undermining the things that will pull them away, but softly, you know indirectly and so an example would be leading by example and be the change you wish to see um and that's inspiring people to change and opening the door to change um you can help people understand the why behind what you're doing and that's very powerful as well and and the benefits it's brought you also is a great thing to highlight and that's an indirect way of saying to them look it's going to bring you benefits as well and so yeah, another, let's see, another good way of indirect sales is you find a way to tell a story that brings to life the main ideas you want to say. And this, this is a great one. A good example that, that introduced me to this years ago. I had a friend who, who worked as a guide and she used to get probably double, more than double the tips that the other, other guides did. And always curious, you know, a curious being. And, and I asked her, well, what's the deal? How's, you know, how's she do it? And she laughed and she told me, she worked out, she asked for a tip. It's socially awkward and people aren't inclined to tip someone for, if they're asking for it, right? I mean, imagine if the waitress or waiter in a restaurant just says, how's about, you know, giving me a big tip? You know, that's direct sale and it's awkward and it, and it's not inclined to help, right? She, so what she did, she told a funny story on every trip that she did um, about 
a stag do that she, a group that uh, that were a complete disaster of group that she took once on um on the section that she's guiding and she had some really funny anecdotes and stories linked to this and she um you know things she had to deal with throughout this this uh, disaster of a trip and uh, you know as a throwaway line at the end of the story she says something like boy did i earn my tips at the end of the trip you know they gave me a bunch of tips or something like that you know and so most people she explained weren't even thinking about tipping right it's it's not necessarily a big tipping culture in the guiding world but she she put the thought in their mind and then obviously she backed it up with the hard work she was a great guide and she did what she she needed to and more um so she earned the tips but the tips flowed because she'd planted the seed but softly you know, and that's genius soft sell, you know, so she's telling a story that illustrates or puts the right thing in their mind and then lets the uh, lets it flourish. So another way, I suppose the last thing to say, because I could talk about hours about soft selling and indirect selling, but another way to think about soft selling that people that I've heard it framed before is, is fishing, right? So how successful would a fisherman be trying to corner a fish in a lake somewhere and shove a hook in its mouth? You know, <laughs> you know so... The fish is not looking to be caught, right? So fishing is the game of all sorts of creative and imaginative ways to tempt a bite. And just enough to tempt the right unsuspecting fish. Once you've got a bite, then the real game begins, you know. <laughs> I suppose it sounds a bit morally dubious when you frame it like that, but <laughs> hopefully you have slightly higher moral aspirations than yanking a person out of their home with a barb in its mouth, whacking them over the head, <laughs> cooking them on a fire. But... <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but that's a that's a way of thinking about it. Fishing, it, you know, you're trying to tempt people in. You don't need to give them everything. You're trying to like entice them into asking some questions or enticing entice them into asking, uh, wanting a bit more. Self-limiting beliefs, and I'm actually going to talk a little bit about self-limiting belief of the person that's being sold to, the person you're trying to engage in a bit. But what, I'm, what I want to talk about now is the self-limiting belief of the person doing the selling or the person you trying to engage people. Um, it's really easy for sort of mental constructs or, or things that you believe to filter out into your message you're sending out and to really undermine your ability to engage people. And so... Let's say you're trying to make massive transformational change, but you don't actually believe it's going to happen. You're just talking the talk, but it can very easily slide into a dialogue that lays the framework for it not to succeed. It filters out through your communication to the beliefs of others. So that's an example of like having a self-limiting belief and then it undermining how powerfully you engage other people. Another example of a self-limiting belief is this thought that, sales is manipulative I, sh- I don't like it i shouldn't do it you know i don't like it when people sell to me so i shouldn't use sales techniques to persuade others and okay you know i have that in staff even when i'm like training people in sales and they're there engaged on a, on a sales training but and i can understand that and so i think it's important to believe in the product that you're selling and believe that that's bringing benefit to the world, benefit to you, benefit to them. You know, I think it is, sales is amoral if you're doing something that's um, to the detriment of the person you're communicating with, but for your own benefit, right? But using sales techniques for uh, to help solve the climate crisis, no qualms about that. So make sure you believe in what you're doing, but um, 
don't let these sort of self-limiting beliefs of like, okay, persuading people and, you know, using sales techniques is bad to get in the way of doing the right thing. Emotion. Action is much more about emotion and less motivated by cold hard logic than people would like to think. <laughs> much more so. And people are happy to accept this is really funny i think because people are more happy to accept that that's true in others than in themselves to so be like yeah i can see that the general public is really um emotive and just you know makes slightly irrational decisions but you know me i i really sort of i'm self-critical and i'm you know really thoughtful and i make logical decisions and so <laughs> which is great because like 95% of the population would class themselves in that category as well. So would you class yourself as the, as, the, as the logical one in the crowd? You know, I know I think that, but basically so does everyone. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe we're all just illogical creatures going, um, being pulled in, this, in that direction. So in short, understand that emotion is a powerful player and great salesperson is going to predict and understand and react to the emotions of the, those that they're communicating with. Authenticity. This is kind of obvious but important. People can see through the bullshit and a good message can be quickly undermined by communication that's perceived as insincere. So I think this is common as people first start to like bring all of these sales concepts on board. I feel like they've got to be someone other than themselves because they've got to kind of apply all the sales techniques in their communication. But as you become more comfortable, you just you can still be yourself and carry authenticity as a central part of everything you do. But kind of weaving some of the concepts into that into your true authentic self. So I think I'll leave it at that. Pretty obvious, and um, don't undermine your communication by being um, unauthentic. But that doesn't stop you using sales. Sense of urgency. I mentioned it briefly in the example earlier, but sense of urgency, well documented that it helps motivate action. Urgent, unimportant things take precedent in people's lives over non-urgent but critically important. There's actually, you know, a good sort of time management and sort of prioritization tool, which which kind of really cuts to the core of that. But as a side note, so if you want people to engage, using time sensitivity and urgency can be a really effective tool. Um, and it is often used in sales. Obstacles and objections. And this is a sales concept that totally relates to engaging decision makers, um, especially. You know, an obstacle is something that stops someone engaging with your idea. And an objection is very similar with one crucial difference. An objection is an obstacle that's been voiced in some way. And so good questioning and good listening helps turn obstacles into objections. Um, and, and powerful levels of empathy as well, you know. So once they're voiced, you can tackle them head on. You can problem solve. If you can't see a solution immediately, you can also say, yeah, thanks very much. That's really important that we address that. Let me think on it and I'll come back to you on that. Um, but the things I understand is here is when people are on the fence about engaging with your idea, it's almost never straightforward single factor decision. There's always going to be some things that are making them want to engage, pulling them towards it, and some things that are kind of holding them back, pulling them away from engaging. And you can either increase the pull towards engaging or what I'm talking about right now, and the other way of doing it is to release the ropes holding them back. You know, you might not need to inspire them anymore. You might just need to get a few of the obstacles out of the way. 
what are their primary concerns? Are they real? Are they inflated? You know, are they imagined? You know, if you can, ask them and then address them head on. Strike while the iron is hot. And this is obvious, but then overlooked sort of subtlety about sales as well. The people's motivation to engage with your idea or to buy, if you're talking about traditional sales, is not constant. So you need to make sure when they're at their highest motivation, they have the possibility to easily engage. So, you know, even the most enthusiastic fluctuate over time with their motivation. So get them locked in when they're ready. So another example from the group sales in the business that I was talking about earlier, we um, we talk to groups as they arrive in the area before they, the day before they do the activity often. And we used to be super mellow and friendly with taking prepayments. So just verbally check how many of you definitely keen, you know, to go to the source of the Nile? Okay, one, two, three, ten people. And White water kayak and five people. Okay, cool. We'll make the arrangements and we'll sort everything out and we'll see you in the morning. You know, we'd have maybe 20% dropout rate, in, you know, from when they had like super enthused post sort of activity talk and um, two in the morning when they wake up with a sore head after a hangover, whatever it might be. So, so we've switched it to say something like, if you definitely want to do this activity, most people prefer to get it all sorted now, you know, payments and paperwork and all that nonsense. Let's get it set up. And then all you've got to do tomorrow is turn up and you're ready to go. You don't need to bring your money and whatnot. Either way, they definitely want to do it when you're talking to them and they're not really aware that their motivation is going to go up and down um, because people don't think like that. And they're, and they're super happy to sign up. And once they've, they've paid and committed, the decision process stops. Um, there's some great research on that. If you keep a decision process open, they, people go up and down. But once they've kind of like fully cleanly decided and committed, they're going and they don't worry about it anymore and they're happy about that decision. So when they wake up slightly hazy head with a few beers the night before, um, they just get up and get involved. They've already done the decision. They know what they're going to do. So a dropout rate dropped to below 5% just by changing the time we took payments <laughs> you know so that's pretty pretty cool sort of direct effect so actually in the field of sustainability there's an awesome sustainability tip that i heard from someone who ends up buying a lot of stuff that he ultimately doesn't use or want and totally you know and this totally relates to the iron is hot thing it's kind of using it in reverse so you're shopping online you want to buy something let's say a t-shirt you do all your normal things find it on amazon and at the point of buying instead of buying there and then he puts it in his saved items list on amazon and then sets a reminder on his phone for three weeks time and when that reminder comes up if he still wants to buy it he does it. he buys it <laughs> but you know he found that like more than half the stuff he said he didn't he was not interested anymore he's like what was i even thinking why did i why did i want to buy that you know and so <laughs> not only did he slice his spending right down but obviously his carbon footprint and you know it's just better for the all-round environment and not filling landfill and all the rest of it so pretty cool uh, way of sort of setting some rules and and things in your own life so that you're not buying unwanted stuff and wasting money so back to engaging people with your idea Make sure there's a way that people can act while their motivation is high. And can they sign up for something, if that's what your aim is, let's say, or donate to a good cause easily at the moment it's in their consciousness and they're super motivated too. And if not, you're really going to hinder your opportunity to, to get them to engage. Hustle. <laughs> that's my next topic. I've come to recognize hustle or the lack of it as a key factor as to whether someone's successful in sales and marketing and even entrepreneurial sort of business ventures, you know. By, by hustle, I mean a kind of high energy resourcefulness and, and problem solving tenacity almost, a, a determination to think um, 
around all the problems just speed bumps and is rather than roadblocks you know to go around the roadblocks if you have to you don't get many people who are great at selling or driving successful cultural change that are basically a bit wet <laughs> and stop at the first hurdle once you acknowledge that you can kind of cultivate that a bit in yourself and when things aren't going your way you know remember that every other person who's ever made cultural change happen has had obstacles and you've got to work around those obstacles and <laughs> so i'm not necessarily here talking about blindly hitting your head against a brick wall <laughs> though sometimes that can work <laughs> I'm just, i guess i'm you know you could push on through with enough persistence but i'm talking about thinking outside the box looking for the leverage or another route round and uh, not taking no for an answer and 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 that's going to allow you to punch above your weight with getting things done and, and especially in sales and uh, communications sphere that's uh, some bit of persistence and determination is really critical state management <laughs> how i'm feeling tired you know sharp happy energized or whatever you know my own ability to engage people and and inspire them depends on my mood and my state and one day I'm, I'm speaking to a group of people and i'm energized focused and the next day i'm tired and distracted my performance obviously you know unsurprisingly noticeably different in 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 performance sport it's it's a near obsession being able to manage your state for consistent and optimal performance you know with my competing i train for years and you get two 45 second competition performances in the world championships and one mistake in either performance could undermine all of those years of hard work and you know and your sort of life long dreams of um achievement or whatever it might be so you cultivate a high level of self-awareness and manage and cultivate your state accordingly and I, I used I started using the techniques honed in performance sport both in my own competing and for my coaching national teams and in, in preparation for critical meetings or sales or um or management uh, interactions and not surprisingly you know it works and it has a positive influence so it's it's a whole subject in itself and and very personal and situation dependent before I could give meaningful uh, input into an athlete's uh, state management. I, you know, I really needed to get to know that person quite well before. So I don't want to just throw out generic ad advice and ideas here, but um, you know, I think just for now, just shining a light on it as a key thing um, that affects performance is worthwhile. So it's, you know, managing your state and getting things right for the key moments is a critical thing. nudging <laughs> next topic it's well known in sales and i came across it again in the climate change context through an amazing book that i've read recently a friend martin ballas put me onto it originally through connected with my interest in climate change communication and this whole engaging the masses podcast series and I felt like i was reading a book that was literally written for me so good it was like speaking to my soul <laughs> so i may actually have to do a whole podcast on the content because it's really good and uh, and great research stuff so um the book's called what we think about when we try not to think about global warming and it's written by per espen stockness he's a swedish uh, researcher psychologist so um maybe i'll leave a link in the show notes but <laughs> on to nudging then small changes in the choice architecture so how you present the choice can have a large impact on on consumer behavior you know so a really simple nudging approach is use like default settings you know so when people make no active choice at all like if you put as an energy consumer um like a government agency you're 
all new customers, you know, the default choice is to use renewable energy, for example, rather than the default being standard and then you have to click on renewable energy and you get like however much percent, 40, 50% higher, like an incredible rate higher for people who just don't really pay much attention. So, you know, you've still got the choice, but the default um, is where most people end up sitting. So it's kind of like choosing your wording and your options carefully to really increase your sustainability and productivity. And so, um, you know, another one, for example, which is which is crazy, you know, which I think is great at a buffet, um, like a, de- a really great study showed that you, all you've got to do is re- reduce your plate size at the buffet. And, you know, people are still allowed to eat whatever they want, take whatever they want and um, reduce uh, waste in hotel restaurants by 20 percent so people can still eat whatever they want they can still choose whatever they want but like the same amount of food looks bigger on a smaller plate so you just have these really small little nudges choices which really changes the sustainability um, output so that's a pretty cool topic i'll leave it at that for now but it's uh, something cool to, to think about and look into I've got, don't piss people off. (laughs) Okay, it's half a joke, but it's also very, you know, real decent sales advice. You're human and so are they. So show them you respect them as a human being and that you're sensitive to their needs and not so wrapped up in your own agenda that you can relate. And I think it's, I think it's maybe it's worth following that header statement of don't piss people off with a kind of like strap line of don't be too nice either. (laughs) I've trained people who, who, won't approach people or won't follow through on a potential sale on the off chance that they might annoy someone or you kind of got to keep a balance between hustling like hell to get the good work done but doing it in a way that doesn't piss people off i'm gonna wrap it up there it's an endless topic but those are just some of the things that that jumped to my mind from my background in sales it's a huge topic you can dig into it more generally the suggestion is don't be shy to use skills and techniques honed in different spheres and different fields uh, to really drive your sustainability work forwards there we go so if if you want to get in touch drop me an email on sam at climatechangeunfolding.com or twitter at sam james ward oh final thing actually uh, a couple of nights ago i listened to a talk from one of the founders of the sunrise movement Varshini Prakesh, I think her name is. I hope I haven't mispronounced her name. She was amazing to listen to anyway, and she and she had some good insight on a whole range of things. And um, but one of the things I thought was unusual and interesting was was her belief in the use of music to help unite and inspire and and motivate a movement. And they integrate it very closely into their work in the Sunrise Movement, and that resonates on a personal level. A music I use all the time in my own state management, which I was talking about earlier with performance sport and. Um, you know, I use it to pick me up when I need it or decompress or whatever, part of my day-to-day life. And as with many people, you know, music speaks to people. Um, anyways, I went to bed thinking of that and I woke up to an email from a guy called Terry Bean, who's a song- singer-songwriter and a listener of the podcast and, sh- uh, you know, who's sharing some thoughts on a podcast. And he also sent me a link to one of his songs. You know, he, I guess he's using music as his own creative outlet to es- express his thoughts on the climate emergency. So instead of the terrible free online music I normally use for an outro, um, let me close up with Terry Beans. Tell it like it is. This is Climate Change Unfolding. See you next time.
Telling it like it is Telling it like it is It's a crazy mixed up kind of world A melting pot of ideas in a world Crazy mixed up kind of life Fascist presidents, fake news on my mind And these are crazy mixed up kind of times Like Easter Island, never saw the sun Future generations will have to pay For the total disregard we show today I don't know if we're gonna make it with our rising oceans and our plastic seas. I don't know if we can take it. Another rise of maybe two degrees. Telling it like it is. Crazy mixed up kind of world Where someone in the Arctic dedicates their life To bring facts down to the people on the street I'm sorry I don't have time Does it affect me? I don't know if we're gonna make it with our Rising oceans and our plastic seas And I don't know if we can change it Another rise of maybe three degrees I don't know if we're gonna make it With our barren forests, our insatiable greed And I don't know if she can't take it as her Another glacier slides in to the sea Telling it like it is Telling it like it is It's a crazy mixed up kind of world